Well, good morning. I blew in here today. Do you realize that? Wow. Hey, it's really good to be here with you today. I'm, I'm excited to come first and foremost just to worship with you because that's really why we're here today is to worship and my hope and prayer right now even as we just continue to worship uh, just in a different way. But before I get into the message, what I want to do is I want to share something with you in regard to our family, the Alliance. You may be familiar or not familiar that uh, as we're here today, we're a part of a larger family called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We would refer to ourselves uh, this way as a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. And uh, as we are here worshiping today, the amazing thing is that across the state of Wisconsin and the UP, we are actually 39 churches in 40 locations. Anybody see an issue with that? 39 churches, well, we could say 40 locations, 40 churches, but one of our churches is actually a multi-site down in the north side of Milwaukee. Just over a year ago, they had a heart to, to spread out from their suburban area to start to have an impact on the north side of Milwaukee, and, and so they planted a site there. And it's pretty exciting as we look at this map and we see these little blue dots of different places of where our family is today, that across here we are in an urban setting in Milwaukee where it is absolutely crazy, but God is creating some crazy God-sized stories that are happening at Urban Life. We are also uh, getting ready in the next year or two years to launch another multi-site, but it's a rural church that has the heart to reach the rest of the county for Christ. We are a part of that family. We're also in the process of planting a multi-ethnic church in the city of Appleton. It's pretty exciting to stop and consider what God is stirring and he is doing uh, in Appleton. Uh, B is a, a, a Hmong man, and he's our pastor that is there, and they're getting ready to launch this fall. So as, as we are here today, we are a part of churches that are very small to very large and in multiple different ways, and it's pretty exciting uh, to think about that. But even beyond all of what you see here, there's another 21 Hmong Alliance churches that are right here in the state of Wisconsin that are sister churches. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, let's give it up there, all right? Hey, and there are some really neat things that are happening with our Hmong brothers and sisters and uh, relationships that are building between the Western Great Lakes District and, and these churches. And I can imagine, and I believe it's the heart of Jesus, and he is moving in our Hmong brothers and sisters and churches in some unique ways. And I hope to come back maybe someday and be able to share with you some exciting news of God continuing to build uh, his church here in the state of Wisconsin. But as a part of our family, where there's actually more to us than just here in the United or in Wisconsin, the United States, we are 2,000 plus some churches. Um, it's really amazing to think that within that number as well, about 40% of those 2,000 churches are actually ethnically based. Isn't that beautiful and incredible? You can see the dots all over there. Someone put, took the time to put all those dots on there. It wasn't me because that would drive me absolutely crazy. But if you go to the next slide, it just kind of gives you a flavor uh, of the multi-ethnic flavor of our family. It's pretty incredible to, to consider that and, and to think about it. 
So on any given Sunday morning, there's actually 37 different languages and dialects that are spoken in our family of churches. Isn't that cool? You can go to a church and be completely out of place because you can't understand, but we're worshiping the same Jesus. Uh, my understanding is our, our uh, Ethiopian brothers and sisters, they worship in clicks and whistles. Wouldn't that be awesome? Praising the name of Jesus that way. But even beyond, just right here in the United States, it's amazing to think that God has used this little family, this little tribe, that there are actually 20,000 Alliance churches outside of the United States around the globe. Working in 70 different languages, 6 million people. Some of our daughter churches are now double or triple the size of the American church. That is is an amazing thing of God on the move. But yet there are so many people in dark places. You saw the picture of Scott and Katie, and I've had the privilege of, of being there, and there are some unprecedented things that are really happening there. Because when you stop and consider that right here in this auditorium right now, there are more believers right here in this room than a city of million people. That should break our hearts. And that's normal. There's an access issue. There's a challenge. If you look at this, if you look in that box right there, most people don't have access to the gospel like we do. If you were to knock on six doors in the United States, you'd find somebody that could tell you about Jesus. If you go to postmodern Europe, uh, you might knock on 500 doors before you're going to hear someone tell you about Jesus, or 5,000 doors. If you go to most of those places, you'd have to knock on 30 thousand doors before one person would be able to tell you about Jesus. Our family has a heart for reaching into to that box that is right there. And the amazing thing is right now we are supporting um, 80% of our workers that are actually working right there in that box. All those numbers, I'm not going to explain it across the bottom. You could ask me about it later. But we are, we are a family that is seeing the name of Jesus spread around the globe. I could tell you so much more. I don't have the time to do that because I need to preach you a message. But it's exciting to be a part of this family. It's not the only family, but it's something that God is using. So friends, as we get prepared to hear the word of God this morning, I'd encourage you to to take your Bibles out and turn to uh, Luke chapter 5. And just hold there for a little bit. We'll get there in a moment. But as we prepare to hear from God's word, I'm just going to ask that you would join me and let's pray. Because at the end of of today, I don't want you to remember me. I want you to know that you've heard from Jesus. I don't have the capacity to do that, but God does. So let's pray together. Jesus, this is a day in which you have created Nothing surprises you in it. This is a chaotic world, a dangerous world. And yet, Father, you so love this world that you sent your one and only son right in the middle of it. So as we stop for a few moments here today, Lord, to look into your word, We're asking that your spirit would work in such a way to stir our hearts, to warm our hearts, to move our souls, to hear what your spirit has to say, to see what your word is doing. 
Father, we're asking that you would transform our hearts and our minds and move us in these moments. So, Father, my sinful ask of you right now in this moment is that you would give clarity to the thoughts in my mind to be able to communicate effectively, but at the end of these moments that I could just fade right into the background and we'd have a sense that we'd just been before King Jesus. Speak to us, we pray, in your powerful name. Amen. So one of the things that I've discovered in my life is there are people that like to fish. I just heard this morning that there were some people that were out fishing yesterday. And I'm thinking, that's absolutely crazy. And then I've discovered in life that there are people that like to fish, and there are people that like to catch. I like to catch. I hate fishing. And so what I've discovered that my best tactic is I'm just going to hunt and I'm going to fish at the grocery store. It's so much easier. I'm going to stick with that. We're going to talk about a story of, of fishing this morning. But what I want you to do is I want you to imagine me. Go back to Jesus' time. Go back as if we're 2,000 years ago and we're at the, the Sea of Galilee. It's a, a crisp, amazing day. We are in this crowd that is gathering there because right at the edge of the shore, there's this man, Jesus, who is teaching the Word of God. Now just imagine that we're right there on that day. We're just south of modern-day Lebanon. We're not too far from the border of Jordan, and we're right there on the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful setting. Here's Jesus, and he's teaching. But the crowd gathering is, is getting pretty large, and it's starting to push in uh, towards Jesus. So Jesus, as he is speaking, he notices that there are two boats that are right there, and these boats are fishing boats, and these boats are about 20 to 30 feet long. And he noticed that the fishermen are right there and they're cleaning their nets because these are deep sea nets that they take down and they throw to the bottom and then they pull up to catch the fish. And they get mucky and, and nasty and so they're washing the, the nets. So Jesus thinks the best thing to do is he takes and he gets into the boat and he asks Peter just to push the boat out a little bit. And Jesus from there begins to teach we're standing in this crowd. We're kind of mesmerized by the words of Jesus. He doesn't speak like other people. He speaks as though he has incredible authority and power in, in what he is saying. It doesn't tell us uh, in the scripture right there what he is teaching, but as we're right there in that setting, it's amazing the thing that happens next. This carpenter turned rabbi Jesus looks at the fishermen who've been fishing all night long, haven't caught a thing. And he says, let's put out and let's fish. Now, if someone's fished all night long and they're a fisherman and they know what they're doing, do you think it's a good idea to tell them, let's go fishing? But Jesus invites Peter and they go out and he throws the net over and, and they let it sit for a while and they're having a little bit of a conversation. We're on the shore watching this and pretty soon Peter grabs the rope and he starts pulling up and he feels an incredible tension on the rope. As he is pulling up the net, 
the net is full of fish, so full that the, the other guys that are at the shore with the other boat, he calls them out with that boat, and they have caught literally so many fish that they're filling both of those boats to the point where the boats are about to sink. It smells like fish. Fish have got to be up to their knees. Fish are kind of slimy. And at that moment, Peter comes up to Jesus and he kneels before Jesus and he simply says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter at that moment is recognizing that his life is messy. But yet for Jesus, that was the perfect response at that moment. And he was so excited that that Jesus actually looks at Peter and he says this, Peter, do not be afraid. Because Peter was just in awe. He's blown away. Again, at this haul of fish. And, and they've been fishing all night long. And they've just heard Jesus teach. But Jesus says, do not be afraid. For Peter, from now on, you're going to catch men. It's like Jesus is saying right there in, in our midst. If we could hear from the shore... Peter, I got a plan for your life. You don't recognize it yet. You don't fully see it or understand it yet, but I've got a plan for your life. These fish are flopping all over the place. They've caught so many. Some of them are probably falling out of the boat. They bring the boats to shore. Peter, James, and John, they get up and they leave everything and they follow Jesus. I want to take you back to that story that I just told you that's in, in Luke chapter 5, and I want you to follow along as I read this. And may it just come alive again as we look at it and read it from the Scripture. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Garnesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had got out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." 
for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Friends, there's two simple uh, things that I want us to catch right here from, from the scripture. There's two important insights. The first is this, a deep encounter with Jesus. Now you've got to understand something about the time frame of all of what's taking place here. We automatically assume, and in my Bible it says at the top of this scripture, the calling of the first disciples. It's unfortunate that they write that there. Because if you're go, to go to the harmony of the Gospels, the disciples have already been walking with Jesus for approximately 18 months when this takes place. That influences us greatly. Because if we're to go to John 1.43, it would say, Jesus simply said to his disciples, come, follow me. Spend time with me. Walk with me. Experience life with me. Get to know me. Believe in me. But this in Luke 5 is about 18 months later. We don't have the time to go into all of this, but I want you to catch and understand that for these first 18 months, the only things he basically said to his disciples was follow me. Be with me. Hang out with me. Learn from me. And now about halfway through his earthly ministry, it changes. And we can see this in some of the other Gospels as well. It goes from follow me to follow me and I will make you, anybody help me? Fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. There's a brilliance to God's plan here. But notice, first and foremost, what happens. Peter, at this place, we'll call it a recall. Before Jesus tells him the next part of the plan of what's actually going to happen, Peter has to come face to face with the reality of the depths of his heart. And so he does. He cries out on his knees right in the middle of fish. Maybe he's up to here in fish. Yeah. Depart from me. I messed up, Jesus. And I can just imagine as Peter's eyes connect with the eyes of Jesus and Jesus' eyes connect with Peter's eyes, the thought in our Lord's mind was, this is good. This is the perfect place for you to be, Peter. Right on your knees, in the middle of the fish. They've been your life before. See, that's what Jesus ultimately wants, my friends. First and foremost, not just one time, but through our lifetime, to deeply encounter Jesus. We know we're deeply encountering Jesus when we see how messed up we are again and again and again. See, the danger is we get to the point where we go, look at all I've learned. Look what I understand. 
Peter could have been there, but he has this encounter with Jesus, which is absolutely amazing. There's this crisis of his faith. There's this fear that comes up in him. And yet he is being transformed by Jesus as Jesus gives him a recall. We're moving on from just following me, but now I'm telling you, Peter, I've got a greater plan for your life. That, that's really the second part of this, that the insight that we need to catch. First is this deep encounter with Jesus we need to continue to have, but the second part of this is a deep call to the disciples, to the plan that Jesus has. An invitation to fish. Look at this again. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch fish. Anybody want to correct me? You'll catch men, women, boys and girls. But Peter, I first want you to encounter me and walk with me. But then I have a call on your life. Do you realize that God has a mission in this world that he's inviting you into? We sometimes forget that. We get really busy with life. We get hurried. But it's amazing to me that the God of this universe who went to the cross, is resurrected, said, you know what? I'm going to transform this world. I'm going to bring my kingdom into this world, and I'm going to do it through you. My first thought of that is, God, you're crazy. Because you don't see how messed up I am. Oh, yeah, he does. Anybody else here messed up? Okay, there's a few of you, and the rest of you are liars. It's amazing to me, from neighborhoods to nations, God's invitation is to us. God's mission is kind of like this coin. The coin isn't just one side, it's two-sided. We get really excited about the one side of the coin. It's called the gospel, that, that God came in flesh, that he came and he walked in, 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 on this face of this earth, that then he went to the cross. He, he nailed our sins to the cross. And he was resurrected. He came to seek and save which was lost. He so loved the world. That's good news, isn't it? Anybody encountered the good news of Jesus? That he takes our messed up life, he transforms it, and invites us to an eternal relationship with him. That's one side of the coin. And many times, that's where we get stuck. It's beautiful. It's good. But I want you to see something here. We've got to turn to a different uh, one of the Gospels. It's called the Gospel of John. So right after Luke, John 17. got worried there for a moment that someone had moved it in my Bible. I couldn't find it. This is the high priestly prayer right before Jesus is going to go to his death. And verse 4, it simply says this. 
praying to his father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now let me read that again, because it should cause us to scratch our heads. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? He hasn't gone to the cross yet. But he's praying to his father and he says, I've just accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Anybody catch that? Doesn't it seem strange? How can Jesus say that he's just completed the work that his father has asked him to do? Anybody scratching their head? I think that's why I lost my hair. I scratched my head so much. This one blows my circuits. But wait a minute. This has everything to do with what Peter was just told by Jesus and the other side of the coin. Jesus has completed his work of creating a discipleship movement with his disciples. He's equipped them. He's prepared them for everything they needed, except they needed to wait for Acts 1-8 to happen, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Friends, that's the other side of the coin that many times we're missing. We don't recognize and realize. We get excited about the gospel and the story of the gospel. But the story of the gospel is to be lived out in our lives and through our lives in a discipleship movement that would affect the whole globe, starting right here in Sheboygan but yet we live our lives as if we're, there's only one side of the coin often. See, the amazing thing is, is, is Jesus invited us to be disciples, and to be a disciple was ultimately to be a disciple maker. That was the call for you and for me. We need to go back to that boat and realize that Jesus is also saying to each and every one of us, I am training you, I am equipping you. Now go fish for men and for women. That's not for clergy, though they ought to be modeling it. That's for every follower of Jesus. The Western church has messed this up for so long. Yes, our first call is to encounter Jesus. But ultimately, we are called to fish for men, to be disciple makers in every part of our life. Let me illustrate it with this apple. Anybody like apples? What do you typically do? You eat the apple and you take the core and what do you do with it? Throw it away, right? We can polish the apple. We can make it look good. I would say, I would suggest as an, as an image in a lot of ways in the church in the United States, what we do is we keep polishing the apple to make it look really good. See, look at the church. It looks really, really good. But the purpose of this apple is not just for us to eat it. Do you realize that this apple has the capacity of millions of more apples? You have to take the seeds, and they have to die. And then they can grow up into another apple tree. And then you can take those apples and plant those apples, 
and it can become even more apple trees. That was the heart that Jesus had for his disciples. And that's the heart that he has for you and me. That we would be a part of his mission. Isn't that mind-boggling? Isn't that awe-inspiring? I don't know where you're at in your walk with Jesus today. Maybe you're just a new follower of Jesus. He's just saying, come follow me. But at some point, he's going to challenge every one of us. Come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're not going to look like every pastor or every person or every elder. You're going to be unique. But that is a calling that he has placed upon your life. So that begs a question, what is a disciple? It's a, a word that's becoming more popular again around Christian circles. And unfortunately, for many of people, it means a cognitive information. We, we take in more information and we understand Jesus. Friends, we have more information than we've ever had. And the Church of America is dying on the vine. It's not the information. Now, we need information. We need good information. But a disciple is simply this. A disciple, yes, is a learner or an apprentice. An apprentice isn't designed just to stay an apprentice forever. If we were to put it in a Jewish context, that when they were following a rabbi, the whole idea was for them to become a rabbi, and then they would have apprentices that would become rabbis. The incredible thing here is that that's what a disciple is, to be transformed in the character and the priorities of Jesus. Now, information is important, but notice what I said, the character and the priorities of Jesus. So if Jesus loves lost people, and I don't, as a disciple, I have a lack of character, and I don't have the priority of Jesus. That one kind of gets close to home, doesn't it? Kind of stomps on our feet a little bit. It's the transformation into the character and the priorities of Jesus. It's a head, a heart, and a hands. It's not just eating the apple and, oh, that was good nourishment. It was, yes, I can enjoy the apple, but it's ultimately to take the seeds and plant them to see so much more fruit come to be. It's the transformation of our heads, our hearts, and our hands. It begs the question, okay, then, what is a disciple? And a disciple is one who's transformed in the character and priorities of Jesus. We've got to ask the question, so what is the church about? Well, the church is simply this. The word means a, a called out, a gathered together, and a sent forth people. Really, the church is to gather to scatter. And that's the whole idea of the church. And yet, what have we continued to do? We typically gather. We typically gather. We, 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 we want to be safe, and we want to be secure. And I get that. But ultimately, the church was to go out, to be sent forth, to be a scattering. What's really caught me and really convicted me, especially working with churches, is that there is not one place in the New Testament that Jesus has asked us to build the church. And yet we'll spend an incredible amount of energy and time at building the church. Now, the church is important. Don't get me wrong. 
what he did ask us to do was to make disciples. And the amazing thing is this. If we focus on building the church, we very rarely get transformed disciples. We get churchites. But here's the amazing thing. If we focus on making disciples, guess what we always get? Anybody want to guess? The church! If we focus on the very thing, I, I wonder sometimes if some of our challenge, myself included, I've been a pastor for 22 plus years. I spent a lot of time focusing on building the church. What would have happened if I would have focused more and more and more energy on building a discipleship culture? That then the church would explode. Now it's slower, it's harder, it's messier, but it has exponential more capacity than just focusing in on the church. Because really, the amazing thing is, is that the church is really the byproduct of healthy discipleship. Now, I could be stirring some all sorts of questions up in your mind, and it's very easy for you to take some of the things I'm saying wrong, and that's okay, let's continue to have the conversation. But really the call, and you've used it in your vernacular here this morning, is to be the church. Not to do church, but to be the church. And that comes out of the roots of discipleship. So if we talk about a disciple as the character and priorities of Jesus, the church is really a a gathering to be a scattering, then friends, I've grown up in the American church. And most of you have as well that for most of us, we're going to need a pretty significant detox. Now, don't throw everything of the church away. The amazing thing is God's used our foolishness and craziness. And a lot of our lives have been transformed because the focus has been on the church. And the church is really, really important, but it's the byproduct of healthy discipleship. Not the apple, but the seeds. Here's the thing. In many ways, the church today, we tend to be focused on us or me. There's a major detox that needs to take place. We really want a comfortable gospel. We want a safe Jesus and comfortable Jesus. We want a consumeristic, you know, if I do this, then God will do this. Well, the good news is Jesus isn't Santa Claus. He's Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he transforms our lives, but it's usually the long road, the messy road, the hard road. It's not just getting cleaned up and looking good on Sunday morning. Y'all are looking pretty good. But that's not the point. It's for God to transform us from the inside going out. To detox, we're going to have to let go of of our consumeristic, comfort-driven mentalities. We're going to have to be okay with uncomfortable, with tension, with difficulty. We're going to have to set aside the good for the best. 
We're going to have to wrestle with our, our background and our family of origin and, and our programs over people. Now, there's nothing wrong with programs, but when programs are the focus, then it becomes a problem. The detox is important because Luke 6.40 simply says this, we only reproduce what we are. When we've been fully trained, we're going to look like the one who trained us. So I tell you what, I take that very deeply to heart because God's placed me for such a time as this to be able to influence churches. As I do that, I'm only going to reproduce what I am. Jesus, continue to work in my life. I need you to keep doing that. It goes back to that encounter first. Being intimate and walking with Jesus. Luke 6.40, let me just say it again. We only reproduce what we are. As we think about applying this to our life, I've covered a lot of ground. There's so many different places we could go and things that we could talk about and and it's taking 37 minutes to talk about discipleship isn't going to change the world. I get that. But maybe it can be the spark to get us to think deeper and more profoundly. To not focus on the apple, but the seeds. And the capacity so much greater. So friends, I encourage you to live your hands, live with your hands wide open. encountering Jesus. Jesus, whatever is in my hands, this is hard for us. You can take it out. And you can replace it with something else. No! Peter lived like this. And we will too. But we need to continue to encounter the King Jesus. The second thing is this, the call. He has called each and every one of us to be a disciple who is a disciple maker. I don't care your age. If you are walking with Jesus, he has given you the spirit of God that was in Jesus. And he doesn't give a junior Holy Spirit to kids. He gives the same power. But we have to live with our hands open first to encounter Jesus. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 2.9 where it says this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into a wonderful light. Is that good news? Let me say it again. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. We started with Peter. Peter was on his knees begging Jesus to walk away. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus is going, this is the perfect place to be, Peter. Now let's get up. Now I got something new for you. Don't just follow me, but now I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Peter's going to fall down. He's going to mess up. He's going to deny Jesus three times. He's going to go back to fishing. 
and Jesus is going to go back out when he's in a boat and give him another catch in John chapter 21. And then he's going to say, hey, Peter, come back to me. Now go do what I told you to do. If you can understand in a cultural context, it's mind-boggling what Jesus just did with Peter. What could be if right here in this room, if just 25% of us went the hard road and decided to be disciples who became disciple-makers, you know the impact of that right here in Sheboygan would be incredible. It's not going to happen overnight, but it would be powerful. And I don't believe it would just impact Sheboygan and Sheboygan County. I think it would actually reverberate to the ends of the earth. Let me pray for us. Would you stand with me? Jesus, right here in this room, all our hearts that are totally different places, there's some of us that are questioning this, some of us are, are scratching our heads and going, what's this all about? And there's some of us that are feeling pretty deep conviction. There's some of us that, Jesus, you're encountering us and we're just scared. There's some of us that are realizing that there's a deeper call that you're placing on our life, not just to follow you, but to be fishers of men. So, Father, I just pray that your fingerprints would be all over the hearts of those that are in the hearing of my voice right now. That you would give them freedom to live with open hands. That you would give them the freedom to not just take a bite out of the apple and say it is good, but to see the capacity of the seeds of a disciple-making movement. So Jesus, I pray that you would dismiss my friends, that they would walk with you as they stumble and fall down, that they would get up and see your face inviting you with your grace and mercy to come walking back, and that there would be deep freedom in pursuing and walking with you. Bring the detox that needs to come, And may we just in concert walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless my friends, the royal priesthood right here. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Friends, go encounter Jesus and see what he does. Amen.